This is Dr. What, Dr. Where, Stories of Rural Medicine. It's the podcast exploring what it's like to further your training and practice medicine in regional Victoria. In this episode, we're doing a deep dive into the life and work of Pauline Chapman. Dr. Chapman is the Clinical Director of Emergency at Ballarat Health Service. Her career journey begins in the Wimmera. I grew up 14 k's from Rapanyip. You can't really call it a town, it was called Burham. Um, at one end of the road was a school. Midway along the road was a silo, and that was a very coveted job when you were in your high school years to work on the grain silo um, over summer to earn cash. The Wimmera is a broad expanse of Western Victoria, best known for sheep farms and wheat fields, which span from horizon to horizon. Growing up on a farm about 75 kilometres from Horsham was a big influence on her decision to pursue a career in medicine. It's really interesting. I think at the time, you don't know any different. So when you're younger, it's a great lifestyle. When you get a little bit older in those teenage years and your friends are all townies, either I went to Mattel High School, uh, which was a 30k bus trip every day, that you were a little bit jealous of their ability to be in town and to have friends and things like that. And then as you get older, you appreciate just what an awesome start to life it really was. And I think that's where growing up in a rural community, you really do get instilled that sense of community, of helping. Um, grew up on a farm, so there was always jobs to do. You know, you, you were expected to, to do things. And um, just been looking at some photos, my mum during COVID put all our old photos onto a disc. And just looking back at the days, like someone from OH&S would have a, an absolute field day these days. There's pictures of, you know, driving around in the bucket of a truck. You're on the back of machinery helping out. Yeah, just these days, those things aren't done. And we never got hurt. Mm. Um, we had a dam right at the back of the property. We learned to swim, but we, we knew, you know, you couldn't go unaided. So it was good. We played a lot of sport. I guess if I had not have had that distancing, it may not have motivated me as much. You know, I, I don't begrudge or put down anyone that wants to stay in the regional areas. But for me, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to marry a local farmer and stay and have children and, and do those sorts of things. So it did have less distractions to really push and study. And I was encouraged. Other people discouraged. Um, and that just made me want it even more. But surprisingly, the high school I went to was really, really supportive. So in my year 12 year, I did HSE. That's how old I am. We had 21 in my HSE year class and 13 of us went to higher education and it was really promoted in all sorts of things, whether it was at Ballarat or at Melbourne Uni doing law degrees, medicine. I was the first one to do medicine. But yeah, it was really, really supported. So did you know from that high school stage that you wanted to study medicine? Pretty much early on. I think I did work experience as a nurse in year nine. And from then on, I knew I wanted to be in health. And yeah, I was just really interested in medicine. My dad taught me anatomy um, when we used to kill sheep. Um, <laughs> so I'd be laid out on the uh, sheepskin, the uh, internal organs. And that's where I sort of got my early lessons from. Now, what was the health servicing like around the, the Wimmera and sort of closer to home? So... Rapanyip is near a place called Minyip, which was home of the Flying Doctors, that TV series. And so Rapanyip, Minyip and Matoa shared a doctor, a GP. And so in my early years, it was a very old GP because they, they, they struggled to find GPs. Um, and so you got dressed up to go to the GP and it was very, you know, 
they were revered and put on a pedestal and it was, you know, you, you behaved when you were a child. And then later on, it was a new family. And I think this is, my, this is one of my turning points that really pushed me to go into it. It was a husband and wife, they come. And she was a really good GP and so was he. But I did some work experience with him and he pretty much just insinuated that women shouldn't really be GPs. And his wife had, you know, stopped practicing. She basically just did the pap smears and women's health um, and then raised their, I think they had like six children or something like that. And so it sort of struck the feminist chord and it was just like, well, if you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to do it. I don't think I appreciated how tough their gig was back then because, you know, you just couldn't be off and it's a small country town and so you can't go to the pub and, and have a raucous night or anything like that. But a lot of community support. Yeah, the, the local environment sort of played a, a major role in your decision to become a doctor. Yeah, and I think, you know, both of my parents are not academics. I know my dad really wanted to be a civil engineer, um, but he was the firstborn son, so he was expected to be on the farm where his brother was sent to university to become a teacher. He went to teacher's college. So I think dad, not having realised his dream, was really keen. And both my brother and sister have both had tertiary level education. And that was even for my brother who wanted to be a farmer. Dad said he had to go away. But yeah, and same with my mum. They finished their matriculation. But yeah, I think it was it was really encouraged that, you know, if you put your mind to it, you could do it. So you made that decision to become a doctor. What happened from there? So I was very fortunate to get into Melbourne University. That was a real culture shock, going from, you know, classes of four or two in some of the subjects that I did at Matoa High um, to a class of 300. And I actually got in under a scheme called the Disadvantaged Student Scheme. So I didn't get enough points outright on my HSC. But if you come from certain backgrounds, like particularly rural backgrounds, and the fact you have to travel 30Ks, um, had classes where, you know, we didn't have a lot of the equipment for physics and things like that. So you actually got given a couple of points to get you in. They took 20 of us per year at Melbourne Uni. And I think the first couple of years, you sort of struggle psychologically a little bit. You know, did I deserve to be there? That kind of stuff. You're there with a lot of really bright kids, whereas you're used to being, you know, a big fish in a little bowl. Um, you go there and you're just another fish in the ocean. But over the years, it's become apparent that my background has actually helped me become a better doctor. Nothing was ever given to us on a platter. We had to work hard for it and we're independent from a very young age, as in study-wise, academic-wise. And I think, you know, playing sports, um, being involved in other community groups, you learn to deal with people. And so that's a, a, an advantage in some ways. Living in the regions really makes you develop those problem-solving skills, working around things in perhaps ways which might not be immediately apparent. Yeah, and, and even now, like you, know, you grew up where um, bailing twine and electrical tape could fix most things. And it's the same in medicine now. You, you can make do when you, you, you're stuck. I, I make a mean bra out of a uh, cloth sling for patients that have had to have their clothes cut off. And it's just tapping into that creativity sort of can-do side, but also making it your care. We call it patient-centred care, but it, it's fitting it to what's acceptable to people from different walks of life. And we know that people like farmers never come in until they're almost dead or it's hanging off or it's grossly infected. And it's just being able to tap into that psyche, really. Going back to your uni days, you studied at the University of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. What sort of rotations did you get across during your study and training? So the first three years, back then I did the six-year degree and then you did an internship. So the first three years are just pure sciences. And I, was, I stayed at uh, St Hilda's College then, so I got a double education. 
<laughs> living on campus. Um, and that was really good because you had instant friends. And if you like it, just a different community. And mostly it was country kids. So we were sort of together navigating this and, and uh, learning other life skills, like how to drink and eat pizza and sing karaoke and all that kind of stuff that you hadn't done. And then the next couple of years, I was based at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. And so you go through all, we all have to go through the same sort of placements. We had to do a mental health placement. You spend some time at the children's hospital. Um, you, you work through the various departments in a main hospital, particularly concentrating on general surgery, general medicine, emergency. And it's from there that you start to develop ideas about where you wanted to be. During my undergraduate years, I always wanted to be a surgeon. That's what I wanted to do. I did my internship at the Royal Melbourne. I did second year, mainly surgical jobs, um, very high powered surgical second year jobs, uh, the cardiothoracics unit, neurosurgery, plastic surgery and emergency. And um, I realised that probably surgery wasn't going to be the lifestyle that I, I wanted. They seemed to be working very hard, um, lots and lots of hours and stuff, whereas emergency um, appealed to me because you still got to do those things with your hands. And yet it was still with a lot of people of all sorts of different walks of life. Uh, there's something new every day, even after 20 years in the job, there's something new every day. And it just suited my personality better. So that's when I approached the senior doctors in emergency at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and uh, yeah, got into the training program. Yeah, what was their sort of reaction when you approached them to pursue something in emergency medicine? It's a lot different back then. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Whereas now it, it's there's a whole lengthy process. And back then it was just you paid your cash and you got into the college because it was a new college. It was a new specialty. They knew who I was and they're like, yeah, cool. You know, all right. And we didn't have interviews back then for the jobs. It was just like, oh, well, you approached them and if they had a place, you got a place for the next year. Uh, it changed during my training. We then had to have interviews every year. But back then it was really nice and easy. You paid your fees to the college. You were in the college. Mm. Um, and then it was up to you to, to sit, study for your exams do the different training requirements, and then sit your final exam. Based on your training experiences, is there anything you think students and junior doctors should seek out when they're starting out uh, in this field? It's amazing, the new doctors that are coming out. They are so much more confident and so more in tune with who they are. I think for the first couple of years, like I was only... I went to uni at 18, so I was very young, didn't have a break. A lot of people are taking a break or they're undergraduates now. So they're in their mid to late 20s before they're on the floor as an intern. So they know who they are, whereas we were very, very young. We were very young and very naive with some things, particularly alternative lifestyles and things like that. So there's a huge learning curve. I think back then it was all about, well, you should know what you want to do. But now the junior doctors seem more comfortable with taking that extra year and realising it's not a rush and just feeling it out. And there's no shame in saying now, I don't know what I want to do. I like this, I like that. And so I think it's keeping an open mind. And then when you do find what you want to do, it's it's letting people know, it's talking to people. It's not brown-nosing anymore, but it's finding out, is it going to be a good suit and fit for you? And I think the relationship now between senior doctors and junior doctors is a lot more open and collegiate rather than the hierarchy that it used to be. Uh, so they have access to a lot more senior staff in a mentor-like manner rather than that sort of preceptor or or educating role. It's a, it's a bit of both. It's a, it's a big mixture now. How did you go from your, your internships at the Royal Melbourne and the Royal Children's out to Ballarat? 
So I finished my fellowship and it was a kind of an interesting point in my life. I'd just gotten divorced. I wasn't going to get a job at the Royal Melbourne. Having said that, you know, I was country. I didn't quite fit their mould, but I wasn't going to get a full-time job there. I had worked nine years full-time for the Victorian government. And this is what people don't tell you. If you keep going with full-time, you get long service leave. So I needed a full-time job. Some of my friends were working up here in Ballarat um, and they would work two days, you know, drive up, do an evening shift, then do a day shift the next day and drive home. And when I rang the director at the time, I said, he goes, oh, you know, how many days do you want? And I'm like, oh, I want full-time job. And, you know, they just didn't have that many here. And so since I've been here for the 14 years, we have probably three times as many consultants or facems. So it's a real growth industry and it was just... I think like a lot of things in my career, it's just happened. Whereas in Melbourne, you know, at the time when I was looking for a full-time specialist job, it was, you know, you take bits and pieces and that's not what I wanted. I wanted to set up a base. I didn't plan on coming here for 14 years. I planned for coming for a year or so. And, you know, I've remarried, got a house, got land and have moved up the ranks. That's not what I ever planned to do either. So I think sometimes you have to be open to where your journey's going to be. I don't particularly like that word, but it's very master chef. But things happen and they happen for a reason. And sometimes you have no control over them and sometimes you can control them. But I think it's just about being open to, to new experiences. And now where I am, even if I wasn't the director, if I was just working out on the floor as, as an emergency physician, the regional centres in particular places like Ballarat, it allows you to see children, to see pregnant women, to see elderly people. Whereas at a lot of the bigger centres, yes, you'd get to see all the very sexy trauma but after, you know, nine years of training there, the fun stuff is good, but there's a lot of mundane stuff after that. And I think here we do get a lot of trauma. Um, we get everything, though, and I think that's what keeps you on your toes and the chance to speak to people from all different backgrounds, as well as being with a team that is invested. In the city, there's a lot of people who are more itinerant, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they're travelling, um, the staff turns over. We still have that here. But there's a, there's a core group who live here, so they're invested in the community, they're invested in making this place work, and we care about each other. Having said that, coming from a small country town, it is also incredibly annoying. I mean, I'm not a teenager anymore trying to sneak out and drink and do those sorts of things, so it doesn't matter if mum knows. But when patients come here, it's often that someone will know them and they know their family. So, you know, that whole confidentiality thing's a little bit harder. And, you know, even my parents, you know, they'll say, oh, so-and-so said they saw you the other day. And it's like, oh, did they? That's nice. Yeah, because I can't say anything. Um, and country folk just don't understand that. They don't understand why they can't ring up and ask about, you know, Jean down the road who they saw being whisked away by the ambulance. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's those little nuances that make it nice. That would also come into play when you're going down the street to do shopping or you're at a cafe or things like that. You know, there could be those sort of chance encounters just about anywhere. The supermarket is a good place to get attacked. And sometimes it's nice, you know, it's little kids that run up to you and that's really sweet. It doesn't happen as much as I thought it would. And so that's okay. It was quite easy for you to uh, to come up here and get a full-time job because of the, the demand for doctors out here. Mm. Is that the same 14 years on? It's still now we have the opportunity to give people full-time jobs. They are very rare in the metro. And if you want to go further afield, absolutely. And it's really interesting. We occasionally have um, rotators from Melbourne. And I think they dread first coming out. You know, they don't want to go to the country, la, la, la. 
But when they get up here, they actually appreciate. And I think when they're classed as junior in Melbourne, and so they're down the pegging tree to get the good job, you know, the sexy jobs, the trauma jobs, to be the team leader. Whereas up here, they're quite senior just because of who we've had on the team. And so it really, it helps them grow in their job. And they actually, a lot of them come back as consultants. And that's fantastic. Um, or they spread the word and we get their friends so, yeah, it is harder to get a job now, but the regional areas, you could walk into a full-time job. What's the training experience like as well as perhaps the, the workplace culture? I'm not going to lie. Training is tough. I mean, in emergency, some people say it's a hobby because we only work um, 38 or 43 hours a week, but it's tough. It's a lot of evenings. It's a lot of night shift. When you're junior, that unknown, you know, and you're expected to know a bit about everything. Whereas, you know, when you're talking to the orthopedic surgeon, they're, they're upset that you don't know everything about the knee. But I also have to know about all the other joints plus this, plus that. And it, it's funny, the, the, the random facts that you that stick in your head, like there are no stonefish here, but I still remember the number of fins of stonefish to anti-venom dose because I had to know that for my exam. Do I use it? No. Do the important things stick in my head? Not as much as they should. And, you know, back in my day, we didn't have Google. I don't know how we practice medicine without Google. The training is tough. It is tough. It's not just the hours, it's the intensity. And that's why emergency doctors don't work long hours. We don't work the 14, 15-hour shifts. We work, you know, 10-hour shifts or 12-hour shifts, and we only work less because when you're here, you're on. I actually think compared to my friends who were surgeons and things like that, I actually think it allowed you to have some form of a social life because... You know, if you're working four days, then you've still got three days. And so you could maintain those connections outside. Studying is tough because you do have to know so much, but it's like anything. Um, you put in a couple of years and then the rewards at the end, when you come out the end, it's a fairly nice lifestyle. You know, I'm a full-time emergency physician or the, as a director, I still only work less than 40 hours well, 40 hours paid a week. We work three shifts on the floor. We have a day where we do office work to, to do our own education, um, to do jobs for the department, you know, whether it's research or it's developing protocols or education and things like that. And we work at the moment in Ballarat one weekend in four. So there's still, you know, life is good. I don't earn the big dollars that the neurosurgeons and the, the, the big surgeons do, but I'm not working seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Okay, most of my friends who are out on the floor in AD, when they log off, you log off, you work your shift, you work hard, you go home, you play hard. And I think it's also a really good career for women. Um, I have chosen not to have children, but for my friends who have children, they can fix it around. You can work part time. It can be flexible. I know it's quite hard for those who are in their training, but one of our physicians who's been here for many, many years, who's quite old, you know, she trained and had four children in that time. So it can be done. And I think a lot more people are doing that. And that is one thing that I would say to people who are thinking about what they want to do is you have to consider these things. Don't leave it till you're 40 and then you've run out of time, you know, and it's okay to say, you know, I am a woman or if I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a bloke and I want to have kids, you know, I want to be the home dad. That's okay. But you have to consider those things early on because there's more to life than medicine. There's oh. so much more to life than medicine. How would this experience compare to doing training in a metro hospital? There's advantages and disadvantages. The advantages of being in a more regional hospital is you get to do more. So when you're a, a junior doctor, you can be putting in the chest tubes. You can be, if someone walks in, they have a 50-50% chance of seeing an intern or me who's got 20 years experience. 
All right, now I'm going to help the intern. But whereas in the bigger centres, sometimes the junior doctors are pushed into areas that are not as acute, that they're pushed out of the big, the big resuscitations and things like that. On the downside, so they get a lot of hands-on experience here. And also in a regional centre, you get exposed to a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, yes, I know, you know, we see everything from sprained ankles to cuts. And, you know, sometimes you'll think, why are these people here? But to them, that shaving cut that wouldn't stop bleeding, they think they're going to die from it. Whereas in the city, you just don't see that. Or they wait for eight hours and then they leave. And a lot of the time in the big tertiary centres, they're seeing stuff that's referred in. So all the sort of prep work or the detective work has been done. So it's a very different experience. What we don't have here is in your training, you don't have, we don't have examiners, or we do now, we have one examiner on board with the the senior staff. And we do have a lot of um, new consultants who've just sat the exam so they can give that experience. But in the big hospitals often they have very well-established training programs for their education and they'll have four or five examiners with the college who can, you know, give them that little extra edge. They can't give them the answers, but they give them the extra edge. This is a quite a large regional hospital, mm-hmm. one of the largest in Victoria. So what would the scope of medicine be here compared to perhaps a tertiary centre? I mean, one of the interesting things about working regionally is the patients all speak English, but the staff have, a, you know, we cover the world with languages. Often in the metro centres, the staff can sometimes have lots of languages, but the patient group is a lot different as well. And each... You know, we do have an Aboriginal population in Ballarat. It's not like the further more remote you go, that comes with unique problems that you don't see as much in in urban populations. We see a lot of sporting injuries that they probably don't see as many because they'd go to clinics in Melbourne. There's industrial injuries, which only certain places in Melbourne would see, like the rural Melbourne's right in the middle of the city. They don't see those as much as the the Western or the Sunshine who are out in those areas where there's factories. But sometimes you do see just stuff that you haven't seen before because people do let it go or they don't come and see it. Um, and it's just it, it's just getting that broad spectrum, whereas often the tertiary hospitals sometimes or the big city hospitals can be very specific, such as at the Alfred you need to know about HIV and you need to know about haemophilia because that's where everyone goes. The children's, they only see children. The women's, they only see women's business. Royal Melbourne's an adult hospital. St Vincent's see a lot of drugs and alcohol. I mean, everyone sees a little bit of it, but they sort of, they don't see the big traumas. So, you know, that's things to consider as well. You mentioned this briefly before, but doing research and other sort of post-training kind of, kind of academia stuff, that's mm-hmm. also a possibility out here? Absolutely. And I think there is always some people who are very interested in it. Um, and so they can often offer assistance. But a lot of us are still linked to where we come from, like training wise. So we've got colleagues in Melbourne who, you know, a lot of the times I've done a couple this year where I'm not the main researcher, but we can offer the regional hub. So it's a joint it's a joint project um, and that offers them a multi-site project. It's, it's fascinating the number of young doctors that are really into research um, and so if they have a, a, a topic that they want to do, there's support and stuff for them here. And, of, and often it's an, also an untapped group. It's like with medical students. The patients here are not like in Melbourne. If, if you have an interesting condition, you will have had hundreds of people come past wanting to examine you, listen to your heart if you've got a weird murmur or something like that. Whereas the patients here are not as exposed to the students. Yes, they're students, but you might only have 10. So they're actually really willing to participate in research or to be examined and and to help educate people. 
being so close to Melbourne, would that change or influence the approach to healthcare and training? I mean, we use Melbourne for certain conditions that we can't treat here. It's also very much a positive here. We have a lot of staff, even training staff, that commute um, or come down for a couple of days, stay here and then go back to their families. Um, so it doesn't seem like you're taking that much of a dramatic step if you want to test your toes in, in regional and see how it's like for you. And then some people might say, this is fantastic, you know, I'm happy to go um, really bush. Yeah, we do things a little bit different. We have to realise that it's, it's a finite resource of, you know, investigations. Um, you can't just get an MRI scan for everyone. Yes, we do have those, but we have to be able to justify them. So I think there is a little bit of difference. But generally, the gap is closing now that we have much more access to those those um, more advanced tests, whereas in the past we couldn't. You know, like we can get a scan at three o'clock in the morning, whereas when I first started here, it was a rarity. They'd wait till the morning. But now, yep, those gaps are closing. And particularly in COVID, what's that shown us has, particularly with the emergency department and some of the other departments like intensive care and those, there's been a lot more collegiality between all of the um, hospitals in sharing sharing how we do things, how we're going to cope with this, how we manage different conditions. And I think hopefully that will continue. And so it becomes more uniform across the board. And then you just put your little little flavour of what you've got on, which I think is really good. That's been a really positive experience. Yeah, absolutely. Held working here compared to perhaps going further bush, heading out to the Wimmera or perhaps even more remote. Yeah, look, I've done a couple of shifts at uh, the Wimmera and I've also, I mean, it's many, many, many years ago, I did my elective when I was a medical student in Nullumboy or Gove, which is in far east Arnhem Land. We actually have to have the permit if you're white. It taps into your creativity and your resourcefulness much better because you just don't have access to absolutely everything. So you learn to make do. You learn creative ways to deal with things. I think now with the age of Google and you can get internet up there, I think it's not as scary. We've had in the years past interns and other junior doctors who go up there that will call down here for advice because we're here 24-7. So, And we actually encourage that. If you're a young doctor and you suddenly faced up there and, and a child had injected a horse vaccine, you know, just was playing and things like that. Well, it's not something I've done either, but together we could work it out um, so they have that resource and they can manage some stuff up there. Other stuff has to come down, same from Stall or Ararat. Yeah, it's really challenging and I think it's a great opportunity to learn a lot, to learn a lot, to learn a lot about yourself, how to become more self-aware, how to learn to ask for help and particularly those places are run by nurses who have been doing the job a long time and who are very, very skilled and so you learn how to work alongside some some pretty impressive nursing staff and you learn it's a different style of medicine that support network would be really comforting to to doctors that are looking at something much more remote than Ballarat where you know they might be the only GP in town or they serve several towns Mm. yeah look it's certainly got its pros and cons you'll be absolutely well looked after fed watered clothed housed um, all of that kind of stuff what you give up for in return (laughs) is privacy because <laughs> everyone knows and also you know reality is you are working more 24 7 you know you're not it should only be the really emergency stuff that you get called for and in a lot of those places the nurses in the local urgent care centers they are brutal at protecting protecting the gp because they know they have to sleep and they know they have to be ready to work the next day but if needed and it's you know you're you're it 
with knowing how to call for help. And I think that's the big thing. It's as we go through our training, you become you become brave and a bit cowboyish during your early years. And then you start studying for your finals and it's the same in medicine or surgery and you realize how much you don't know. And so then you become a little bit more conservative. And then by the time you've specialized, you find a happy medium. Coming out here, I'd love to talk about um, how you went from working in the ED to becoming the head of ED here. Yeah, that's interesting. So during my time here, I have been the deputy director um, for a couple of different directors. And so over that time, I was sort of doing some of the work and got exposure. And then when the opportunity came to stand in for the director who stepped down, um, I said, look, yeah, I can do it. I don't want the job, but I'm happy to sit in. And as I was doing it, I realized, well, I've been doing the work anyway. So why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? I'll give it a crack. And I think as well, being able to see how, you know, sometimes there's some really awful parts of this job, but then the really good stuff of being able to make positive differences to both patients, to both your staff, like improving the morale, improving the working conditions, that kind of stuff. That's a really good feeling. That's a really good feeling. So, yeah, it, it was very interesting because I've always, from a very early on in my career, said, no, I'm just going to be a worker bee. That's all I want to do. I love treating patients. I particularly love naughty old people. And I do miss that. And so I have to try and balance. So I, currently I do three days in the office and one day on the floor. So it just sort of, again, it sort of happened. And I think a lot of that was, well, I didn't really think I could, but I can. So, yeah, and it's been, I'm not going to say it's been easy. It's been a baptism of fire for two years with lots of different issues. And you learn to make, well, you learn from your mistakes and then the pandemic, which, of course, we all were trained for, not. Um, So you just, you have to know what you can do, know when to ask for help, and sometimes just go with your gut feeling and wing it. And um, we've, we've managed to get through this. No staff have gone down. Everyone stayed safe. It's been, it's been really stressful for everyone, but I think as a team we've pulled together. So, and that's, that's the reward of the job. Do you think an opportunity like this would be possible, you know, at this point in your career in somewhere like Melbourne? It would have had to have been a much more driven decision. So someone I trained with has just got the other deputy position at the wrong Melbourne. But the people that in the big cities, like they're very much sought after jobs. That's what people want and that's how you can climb up. I, I don't think I need to go any higher than I already am. But yes, they will be doing things. They will be actively doing lots of other training, certain jobs, trying to get into the college to make their package much more attractive. Having said that, once you're in the job, there's lots of opportunities to do training, which has been really good. But yeah, and now I'm trying to encourage some of my other staff, like I have a deputy, but if both of us were on to try and get some of the others to come up and have an experience so that, yeah, if I'm not available or something happens to me, that there is someone else that can take over. What skills and attributes would you look for in junior doctors that you'd be looking to train up to do your role or perhaps more generally? To me, what I look for in a resume is not always politically correct. I really focus because everyone in medicine has done fabulously at high school. We've all done a university degree, so I know you can be a doctor. I'm looking for, I personally look for the other things that are in the resume. And I know now everyone's done research and everyone's been in the teddy bear hospital. 
but it's other things. And it does to me, it doesn't matter what it shows, what exactly what that is. What it shows is that you can play nicely with others or you're part of a community type thing. So that can be a lot more people are putting down religion, which I find fascinating. I also know that if that's a person that's come from another place, such as Melbourne or further afield, that they will be able to link into a community. So they're going to have supports. If you've played sport, if you do something really weird that makes you unique, like I still remember one person and it was like they played underwater hockey. Now you don't see that every day. We've had people that have come through that are Olympic athletes. Like to me, that shows you have dedication. You will train. You know what setbacks are. If you people who are in arts, they're interesting. They read. They do. Gaming's a big one at the moment. Everyone seems to be a gamer. It doesn't matter. It just shows that you've got balance and you've got life outside. When you come to the interview, what I want to see is passion. Don't care what it's about, but just talk with passion that you're actually interested particularly if it's about your hobbies or it's about what you do outside of work. They're the people that you want. I don't want superstars. Superstars are temperamental. They're, they're, they're hard work. And when they're having an off day, they're really bad. Regular people who want to turn up and have a, have a crack and are generally just good people, that's who we want on our team. And that's what most people want. There are some places that like the superstars, but to create a team, you need people that are going to fit together as well. You know, that's been an ongoing theme throughout this episode, that it is more than just the job, more than just the career. You know, there's massive lifestyle considerations mm. about rural medicine as well. Yeah, look, it's it's really interesting and we don't begrudge them. We've, over the years, have seen a lot of people come from Melbourne. Now, I grew up in the country, so I'm used to drive. I was brought up, you know, 60 k's a day. Nothing. That's just what you did. And when we went shopping, it was 75 k's to Horsham and 75 k's back. Some people find the drive from Melbourne to Ballarat twice a week very stressful. And that's that's nothing. Thing. It's ironic that they'll drive like 10 k's in heavy traffic in the same amount of time. But for some people, that's really tiring. So, yeah, there's nothing. And there's nothing to be, to be ashamed of in having a go and saying it doesn't fit. Like we've had people, no one's left here rec- of recent years saying they hated the job. But it's just they had family reasons or they had to go back for to care issues or they just found the driving too tiring. And that's okay. And I think that's the other thing that juniors need to be when you're applying for a job. Just be honest, you know, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. And often there's ways to make it work. I think that's where um, medicine has changed. In the past, you got a roster and you were just expected to turn up and we don't really care. Whereas now we realise that to get the best out of your staff and to have them here and happy and productive, you've got to look after them and, and take all those little nuances what would you say to someone who's considering a career in rural medicine or, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, moving out to a country town and becoming a, a GP out there? Go for it. Absolutely go for it. And I think test the waters, start a little bit, but then sometimes it's better just to dive in too, isn't it? Particularly going somewhere that has maybe someone else at the start, some support at the start. Um, so there's lots of, you know, like even the Wimra. There's lots of GPs there and I'm sure they, you know, look after each other. But yes, don't be afraid. The worst thing that's going to happen is you leave. But then the other offside to that is that you might always die wondering, what if? Thanks to our guests for taking the time to discuss their work and thank you for listening. This episode was part of a series of conversations with doctors in regional Victoria. There's more episodes available which focus on a wide range of medical specialties and all things rural medicine. Find us on your podcast app of choice and if you're enjoying the series so far, 
give us a five-star rating. It helps us reach more people looking at a career in rural medicine. The Western Victorian Regional Training Hub has commissioned this series of episodes to help medical students and junior doctors learn more about training and practicing medicine in regional Australia. There are hubs all across the country. To find out where your nearest regional training hub is, visit the link in the episode show notes or just search regional training hubs. And finally, this podcast was made possible by funding from the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Program at the Commonwealth Department of Health.